pastor, that you would speak through him in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So today we are going to talk about, we're, we're doing a 10-week series. Uh, today is our, believe it or not, this is our ninth of the 10-week series. Uh, next week we will take a break from the series. We're going to have a special Thanksgiving service. You will not want to miss it. Fred and Marcia are going to lead us in worship. Uh, and several of the members of the congregation are actually going to get up and give testimonies of Thanksgiving. Um, and it's going to be a cool service, so you don't want to miss it. Uh, but um, today we're going to do the ninth of our 10-week ten, ten series on what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, we, we, uh, the, the sermon title or the series title is called Walking the Walk, the call, the challenge, and the adventure of following Jesus. When we become followers of Jesus, there are some changes that happen in our lives uh, and there's a lot that goes into being a follower of Jesus. And so we've talked about prayer. We've talked about faith, community, generosity. Um, we just talked about a number of things. Today we're going to talk about a topic that everybody loves. We're going to talk about personal morality. What does it mean to follow Jesus? How do we avoid sin in our own life? Um, and, you know, it can, it can be a, a, a touchy topic, except when everybody says, Oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. Okay, so we're all on the same playing field, right? Um, any non-sinners? Anyone's never sinned? Okay. Okay, you're dismissed. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> um, so it's, it's actually very refreshing to be in a, in a place in your heart and mind where you go, Yeah, I'm, I'm wildly imperfect. I'm a broken human being. I need a Savior. I need God because I cannot do it on my own. It's, it's actually a completely liberating place to be. Um, and so, so we're going to talk today about the S word, the big S word. We're going to talk about sin, and we're going to talk about personal morality and all that kind of stuff. And it reminded me of a pastor who one, one day told his congregation, he said, next week I'm going to talk about the sin of lying. So I want you to, this week, you know, kind of prepare your hearts. I want you to read Mark chapter 17. Get it, you know, in your mind. I think that'll be a helpful passage for you to read before our, our next week's sermon. So... The following week, he got up and uh, he said, you know, today we're going to do our, our um, sermon on, on the sin of lying. He goes, how many of you guys read the passage that, you know, Mark 17? And about half the congregation put up their hand. He goes, that's interesting because Mark only has 16 chapters. So, um, so then he started his sermon online. Uh, <laughs> Mark Twain says, always do what is right because it will gratify half of mankind and astound the other. Um, we're going to look at a, a passage that I love. Um, it's 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 4, and we're going to go through chapter 2, verse 6, but we're going to skip a few verses um, and, and kind of truck on down through the passage. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to that passage. And 1 John 1, 4 says, And we are writing these things. John was an apostle, so he's writing, writing these things. So that our joy may be complete. So the premise, before he starts talking about righteousness and sin and all that, is the, the purpose of writing is to bring joy. The purpose of sinlessness is for joy. It's not to restrict you. Um, uh, we write these things so that our joy may be, may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him, from Jesus. John was with Jesus. He was a, an apostle of Jesus. And we proclaim to you... 
and he says that God is light. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. I like, I like that he says we practice the truth, right? Because we don't get, we don't come to Christ and then suddenly everything's peachy keen and we're super holy and righteous and we're saints, right? It's a practice. It's like a lawyer practices law, a doctor practices medicine. We as followers of Christ, we practice what it means to walk in the light. And we don't always walk in it every day, every, you know, correctly. We slip, we get into darkness. But as long as we are practicing walking in the light, it brings us into the perfection of his love. Uh, Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I love how he he says, he doesn't say we, we deceive others because guess what? Nobody else is going to be deceived if you say you have no sin, because we all know um, the story. But we deceive ourselves if we say we have no sin, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me just take two seconds to say when we talk about righteousness and holiness and sinlessness and all that kind of stuff, the paradigm is not we do this in order to get God's love. That is not the premise of the Christian faith. The premise of the Christian faith is that God loves us while we are in sin, while we are already messed up, while we're in darkness, he reaches out with his light and pulls us to him. And then in response to his reaching out to us, covering with his, his blood, covering our sins with his blood, forgiving us of all unrighteousness. Out of that, out of the gratitude of the response to that, that's when we walk in the light because we say we want to be with him because he pulled us out of darkness. So don't ever get confused, you know, like I did when I was a kid, was like, what can I do? Let me get just up to the edge to see what I can do without having God come down and hammer me, right? That's not the, that's not the way it works. We respond to the grace of God. We're not trying to get his favor by righteousness. Does that make sense? Um, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Basically, what John is saying here is, if you say you're with him, then your life needs to reflect the fact that you're with him. Because you can say, you can say anything, but our lives have to sort of follow what, what it is we're saying. I don't know why I thought of this, but when I read this passage, I thought of when, when I was a little kid, I was at church camp. And, you know, I was 11 years old. I was at church camp. And how many knows that when you're 11 and you're at church camp, you're not really focused on the spiritual things. You're, you're you know, you're looking around saying, is, uh, you know, maybe I can find a girlfriend here, you know, play some kickball, you know. Um, and it was a big deal for me because I was 11 and, and, I, and I met a girl at church camp and, and she was 13. And she liked me. So it didn't, and nothing else about her mattered except that she was 13. And it's like, I'm going out with a 13-year-old and I'm only 11. So check you later, guys, you know. So I won't tell your name, but, but um, maybe I will. No, I won't. Um, 
But so we were boyfriend and girlfriend at church camp, or we were going together. I can't remember what we called it back then. Which basically meant we like walked around like this together, you know, and like didn't say anything. Um, but anyway, I was, I was like way into it. So after church camp, about three weeks after church camp, we would have family camp. And so everybody would come back to the campground. And so for those three weeks, I'm just like, I'll tell you her first name, Jamie. I was like, me and Jamie are, you know, she's my girlfriend. I'm, I love her. I'm in love with her, you know. And, you know, she's my girlfriend. And then basically the, the unwritten pact is that from this camp to next year's camp, you're going out. Now, next year's camp kind of clears the boards and you can kind of, you know. But for that year, you're going, we're going out, right? So anyway, go family camp. And we're getting ready to go to family camp. I have my mom, you know, blow dry my hair, try to smooth out some of the curls. I get a little crushed velvet blue suit, you know, and the skinny red knit tie. You know what I mean? And I'm just like ready to just go kick it with Jamie at family camp, right? So I go to family camp. We walk, and it was, the little tabernacle was up on a hill. So you go walking up the hill, and I'm looking, I'm looking. I come up the hill. There's Jamie holding hands with Bart. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave everybody's last names off of here, but you know who you are if you're listening. Um, crushed. Like, wait a minute. She said she was with me, but her actions tell me she's not with me anymore. She's with Bart, and he's like 15. So there's no way that I can compete with that, because I'm 11. Um, so anyway, I, that's a long way for a ham sandwich. But the point is that when we say that we are doing something and our actions don't demonstrate the veracity of what we're saying, then John is saying we're not, the truth is not in us. Not that we have to be perfect, but we can't be holding hands with the world if we're saying that we're with God. You feel me? So, verse 5, But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So the bottom line is, as followers of Jesus, part of our responsibility, among many other things, is to try to emulate his life, his ethics, his morality, uh, the way that he lived. He lived a sinless life. And so our goal is to try to emulate that. And, and guess what? Just so you know, we're not going to nail it, okay? But the, but the goal is to walk in that direction. Um, and I'm going to give you one more passage. We're, there's a, a lot of scripture today, and, and I hope that's all right, but there's a, this is a big topic. Um, so when we ask ourselves, what, what then does it mean to walk in the light versus not walking in the light? And Galatians... Paul, you know, he likes to break things down nice and simply, right? So here it is. He's writing to the Galatians. And Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these two are opposed to each other. So there, is a, there truly is a distinction, and there is a battle between the flesh and the Spirit, and our hearts are on the front line of that battle. And our lives are on the front line of that battle. And we ultimately choose to walk with one or the other. Because you can't walk with both. 
You cannot walk with both. You are either striving towards, pushing towards the light, or you are ignoring the light and walking into darkness. Um, there was a song in, when I was growing up, and, and, and it, used to say, it said, you can get with this, or you can get with that. You can get with this, or you can get with that. Uh, you can get with this, or you can get with that, or you can get with this, because this is where it's at. That's how the song went. Um, and and uh, that's what Paul is saying. It's like, this is, this is, you can do one or the other. Then he says, if you want to know what the works of the flesh are, this is what they are. They're evident. He says, I, I'm going to tell you what they are, but you probably already know. The works of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity. Enmity basically means hostility, comes from the same word as enemy. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I like the, the, the final caveat, which is, you know what I mean, like all that stuff, right? That's all the stuff of the flesh. Uh, and we've all, when we're looking at that list, we can find ourselves in that list. We're, every single one of us can find ourselves, you know, maybe in a couple places in that list, you know? Um, so that's the work of the flesh. He says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now here's the other, here's the other side of the coin. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So this is the other side of the coin. So you can walk in the revelry and the drunkenness and the orgies and the, you know, and things like these, or you can walk in peace and goodness and love and virtue. And that is the choice as followers of Jesus. We make imperfectly, but we make the choice to walk with Christ, to follow him. One thing that I love, and, and, you know, when I was, like I said, when I was younger, I didn't love to hear sermons about sin because I, I had it all backwards in my mind. But, but now I actually love to hear sermons that are corrective. Sermons or, or scriptures or passages or books that are corrective, that tell us and that pinpoint for us what is wrong so that we can adjust ourselves and follow in the light. We heard a story this week of some, some folks that their friend um, was diagnosed with uh, uterine cancer. But the, but the problem was she, would, she was diagnosed a, about a year after her previous exam. So you, this, this type of cancer is treatable, highly treatable, and it's usually caught in time. In this case, it wasn't caught in time. And... It wasn't, it was, by the time it was caught, it was beyond, it was beyond repair. And she passed away. But she passed away, really, as a result of the fact that the thing that was wrong was not noticed, was not diagnosed early enough. The scripture is, the great physician, Jesus the great physician, part of his role in our life is to diagnose what's wrong. So that we can adjust it. And that's what the scriptures do. They teach us what's wrong. You know, I have a... Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, uh, kind of cheap. Okay. My wife will, will, will say, um, so I don't like car payments. So whenever I buy a car, I, I get an inexpensive car and I buy it with cash. And there's a long story about my car and I won't get all into it, but my car got crashed and I got $6,000 of insurance money. 
So for me, that's like, that's, I'm going to buy a $6,000 car. You know, it's going to be an even deal. So that's what I did. I, I, I bought a $6,000 car. Um, and it looks, it's a, it's a, well, it's a Jaguar. Okay, I'll just tell you. Uh, my wife made me do it. It wasn't my choice. Um, $6,000 for this car, right? Within, within, within about three months, the check engine light comes on. Okay? Now, I don't want to spend a lot of money on this car because I got it for 6000 and that was my limit. So I take it to a local mechanic and I go, you know, I don't want you to get all crazy on this. I just, don't, I just want the check engine light to be turned off, right? I just need to pass inspection, okay? No problem. So he fixes it. He fixes it by getting the check engine light to turn off. But the problem was the diagnosis didn't happen. It was like a fix of not the real problem. So Wednesday night, I'm, I'm, I had a meeting out in Chesterfield. It's 8.30 at night. I don't know if you remember. It was kind of chilly that night. I'm driving east, coming home, and I'm feeling... I, feel the, I see the heat thing go up on my gauge. I see, I want to say steam, but it might have been smoke. I don't know. I was... I was staying optimistic. And flying down the freeway, the whole thing shuts down. So I like pull over to the side and I'm thinking, maybe I should have had the guy fix the, uh, the problem. So long story short, tow truck comes. It's in the shop right now and we're getting down to the bottom of it, okay? But the point I'm saying is that when we, as followers of Jesus, and when we ignore the true diagnosis of what is wrong in our hearts, then we don't get it fixed. And ultimately, the problem is, if we don't get it fixed, it leads to destruction. It leads to breaking down. Okay, it doesn't lead to like, no problem, you just keep on trucking. It leads to a slow demise in our life. It breaks down relationships. Sin, sin breaks things up. It hurts people. You know, the, the longer I'm around and, and the more, uh, you know, both as a pastor and, and in my work as an attorney, sin is at the root of all of these problems and complications in people's lives. You know, outside of a natural disaster, you know, the biggest problem in our hearts and in our lives, it result from sin. Things that, that we don't, uh, things that don't go right. You know, things that we're not doing right. Um, so I want to talk just a little bit about the benefit and the value of righteous living right, and right living, what it means to be following Jesus in our personal morality. The first thing that we that we learn is that right living protects us. It, it's not a restriction. It's a protection. The point of right living, the point of the scriptures teaching us how to live is to protect us from our own self, from the damage that we inflict upon ourselves and others. We had, you know, some of you know we had a little dog, Milo, and Milo loved to be at the very end of his leash at all times. So if the leash was two feet long, he would be straining against that. If the leash was 10 feet long, he would be straining at 10 feet. And I, we didn't have a long enough leash, but if the leash were 100 feet long, I don't think it would be long enough for him. He would be always trying to get just a little further away, you know, from me. <laughs> Maybe it was me. But no, he was always trying to get just a little bit further away, right? Because he wanted to be free. He wanted to be running free. Sometimes that's the way we think about 
our relationship with God that we're trying to just get as close to the edge as we can without falling off, right? And Jesus wants us to flip that paradigm all the way around and say, God, you have saved me. You have pulled me out of darkness. I want to run from darkness and get as close to you as I can. Like the sheep with the good shepherd. They just, they come and they just lean up against his leg. You know, they just, you just want to be close to Jesus. And that's what he's, that's what he's calling us to because sin is a destroyer. And so he's not trying to be a buzzkill. He's trying to keep you from screwing up your life. That's what he's trying to do. Um, Matthew chapter 72, I mean 7, verse 12 through 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. But it leads to life. It leads to life when you walk the narrow path of following our our Savior and our Lord. It leads to life. It leads to fullness. It leads to abundance. It leads to joy. Whereas the broad path, you get off the path and suddenly you're in the muck and the mire and the the rocks and the stones and you can't get any traction because you're off the path, right? So when, when, when my son wants to walk out into... The one thing that I will like lose lose it on is if my son tries to walk out onto the street from the sidewalk. I mean, he gets in worse trouble for that than he does for anything else. The reason is, is because, I mean, it, would, it terrifies me because I desperately want to protect him from danger. So when he's, and his four-year-old mind is thinking, man, dad is being pretty harsh on this. The point is that I want to protect him. So when I'm pulling him back, it's to keep him from hurting himself. That's what right living is for us. It is a protection uh, when we walk the narrow path. The second point is that right living actually liberates us. We think sometimes that right living is a restrictive sort of mode. And that if we could only break free, if we could only bust loose and be free and live. But the problem is when we do that we actually end up ensnaring ourselves and entrapping ourselves in all kinds of circumstances that are, that are, that are just absolutely oppressive. We met a guy here in, in, when we were up in Brooklyn who works at the Angola prison. He's like a, he has a ministry there in Louisiana. And uh, you know, his thing was that all these guys basically thought that the choices they were making, they were, they were, they were becoming free. I can do whatever I want. I the, the world doesn't hold me down. The, you know, I don't have to follow the rules. I'm going to bust free and I'm going to be. And the thing is that when you do that, you end up completely confined so that you don't even get to choose when you're going to eat or when you're going to come out of your room. Or, you know, it, it actually has the inverse effect that you think it's going to have. The great uh, biblical example of this was when Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. And this is an amazing story because he says this young man who was just like, he just was bitter against his dad. You know, he didn't want to be there anymore. He said, I want my inheritance and I want out. I want to be free. I want to get out of here and go live it up. And that's exactly what he did. His father reluctantly gave him his inheritance. He went to a faraway land. He, you know, he spent it like wild and there was a drought in the land and he couldn't 
even find anything to eat. And so he said, I'm going to go. And he basically became a servant of a man who had a pig farm. And the scripture says that the kid was desperate to eat the little nuggets that they would feed to the pigs. Think about that. Think about what Jesus is trying to say. You know, here's a little Jewish kid, an Orthodox Jewish kid, who is not just, who is eating with the swine. It's basically the bottom of the barrel. And finally, the scripture says that when he came to his senses, he said, you know what, even my father's servants have it better than me. I'm going to go enslave myself to my father because that is better than this. And so he comes to his dad and he says, I'm not worthy to be your son. So just let me work for you. I'll just work. I'll just be a servant. And the scripture says that his father took off his robe, put it around his neck, took off his ring, put it on him, embraced him, kissed him, killed the fatted calf and celebrated because his son came home. You know, so when we follow Christ, it's liberating. It is not stifling. It's absolutely liberating. Romans uh, chapter 6 Verses 6 through 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Sin is the, is the bondage. Righteousness is the freedom. And we get that all backwards. But, but sin is the bondage. Righteousness is the freedom. G.K. Chesterton, the great uh, writer and Christian theologian, says, Art, like morality, consists in drawing the line somewhere. Right? You've got to draw the line somewhere and say, This is where I'm going to go. This is how I'm going to live. And finally, right living leads us to the greatest good. Now, this is an interesting point because sin does pay in a way. One of the reasons that we like to sin is because we get an immediate gratification from sin. But the, but it, but the ultimate wages, because it does pay you, okay? You get wages from sinning, but the wages are ultimately death. The wages of sin are ultimately death, the scripture says. And so we do it because there is an immediate value to it. There is something good that we perceive as good that we derive from it, whether it's pleasure, whether it's fun, whether it's, you know, money, whatever it is. Sometimes we, we immediately receive a benefit. But righteousness brings us the greater benefit. There's a much greater benefit that God wants for you and for me when we live righteously. And I'll just very briefly tell you a, a quick story. Um, Rebecca and I were talking to a friend of ours, and this is a girl who, great girl, bright, smart, attractive, nice person, you know, and she's at this point in her life where she wants to be in a steady relationship. She wants to get married. But up to this point, she has been sort of indiscriminate with the way that she lives, right? She has been sort of a moral relativist, what, you know, this right is what I say it is. There's nothing really wrong. You know, the rules don't really apply. You know, and so she's kind of habituated her life to this indiscriminate, freewheeling way of living. The problem is now she wants the real thing, right? So she's had these shallow relationships and 
they were fine and they were gratifying to some extent, but now she wants the real thing. But the problem is you don't get the real thing when you're still over here with the unreal thing, right? You don't get the peace when your heart has just been pursuing pleasure. It just won't happen, right? You don't get love when you're just living in sort of a lust state, right? You, you just, you, they're incompatible. But God is saying, look, I don't want to kill your joy. I don't want you to not have fun and not have excitement. I want to give you a pleasure that will make this pale in comparison. He wants to bring you to the greater good. Um, John 15.10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's the whole point of, of Christian morality is that it brings you a greater joy than you could possibly imagine. It really does. It absolutely does. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life And that more abundantly. He wants you to have an expansive, brilliant, joyful life. That's what he's calling you to. He's not calling you to a bored, you know, sort of lonely existence. He wants you to have freedom. John 10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy. I come that they might have life and that more abundantly. He wants to throw open the doors of opportunity for you. And, and when we live right, it changes, it radically changes what is available to us. And I'll just close with this very brief story that, you know, from a personal, from a personal perspective, there were years in my life, I grew up in the church, dad was a pastor, you know, toe on the line, barely, um, you know, and when I hit that age, 18, 19, I said, I'm out. I'm out. I don't want it anymore. I want to be free. I don't want all these rules. I don't want these restrictions on me. I want out. I want to be, I want to be out there. And so I was. I turned away from God. I rejected my faith. I re- and, you know, and any sense of morality, basically like morality is what you say it is kind of vibe, and lived that way for many, many years. And... The problem was, after several years of living without any, you know, and I would be happy to let you know at that time, hey, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a believer. I'm not confined to your rules. I don't care about your rules. You know, and I was very happy to tell you that if you asked. And even if you didn't ask, I would have told you that. Um, But what I found is that my joy over those years just diminished to where the pleasures that I was pursuing lost their lost their savor things that had been so enticing and taboo and you know suddenly just seemed like this is not there's nothing here this is shallow this is empty this is broken to the point where it was like what is there what's left what is left to do to bring real joy into my life you know and so that's when god when i kind of hit bottom that's when god said you know hey man I've been with you the whole time. So if you want to just turn my direction, then you might see that there is value, there is purpose, there is meaning, there's richness, there's abundance, there's a life of excitement and joy and and peace that you don't know about because you've been walking around in the darkness. And I'm going to tell you, 
from a personal perspective, I became a Christian in April of 2005 is when I finally gave my heart, I gave up, I gave in. and said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you. And, and I, I, can, I can affirm to you, and you can, I'll give you anybody's phone number that you want from my past. And, and my wife knew me in both B.C. and post, before Christ and after Christ. Um, and she can testify. My life radically transformed. And I don't mean just like I got better. You know, I started doing things a little better. I mean fullness. I mean richness in my heart. I mean the joy. I have been, the the last, from 2005 to the present, have been the absolutely most, the happiest years of my life. I mean, I mean joy that is, it's not all roses. It's not all perfect. I'm not trying to, you know, write you a check we can't cash. But I mean, it, it, it is it is verifiably different from there to here. And I believe that a big part of that is that just starting to follow Christ, starting to follow in His principles, starting to live right, starting to reject those things which are destructive and follow those things which bring life and abundance, that I believe has completely transformed my life. And and I want to say to you today, many of you are already on the path walking towards the light. And I just want to encourage you, keep trucking. Keep trucking because there's, there are going to be times when you want to falter because that immediate gratification is there. But keep moving towards the light. How do we do it? I'm just going to give you very quickly a couple of little practical points and then we're going to close. Number one, confess your sins to God. Okay? Know that they're there. Acknowledge them. Confess them. Confess them to God. Confess them selectively to others. You don't need to go telling everybody your business, but you do need to find some people to whom you can be accountable. You really do. You need some, uh, some other friends or brothers or sisters or other Christians, somebody that you can un- unburden yourself to, okay, so that you can confess and get some of this stuff out in the open. Um, number, number three is uh, pray for strength. Pray that the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you and strengthen you uh, at, in your walk. Because he will. Um, This is my favorite one. Avoid. Don't resist. Don't try to resist. Avoid temptation. Because once you're in a situation where you're trying to resist it, it's really hard to resist it. But if you avoid it altogether, you're much better off. You know what I mean? And we'll talk all about that sometime. But but, but that's a a big one. Just don't put yourself in situations where you're going to be tempted. And finally, practice. Practice righteousness. Let it become muscle memory. Making the right choice over and over and over again. Because again, God is doing this. He wants you to follow Him not out of guilt, shame, coercion, manipulation, fear. He wants you to have life. He wants a fullness in your life. A richness, a wealth of relationships, love. He wants that for you. And He's calling you to that today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.